Hello once again, friends, and welcome to On The Way Home. I'm your host, Michael Braithwaite from Bluedor. That's the organization I'm a part of. Uh, it's been around a lot longer than me. Well, I, you know, I've been around for 51 years, but I haven't been a part of Bluedor that long. Bluedor's been around for 41 years, helping the most vulnerable across York region, Peel region, uh, Durham region, uh, and much, much more in the areas of housing, homelessness, and health. They do a lot of great work. Check out that work at www.bluedoor.ca. My kids always tell me, they don't have to say the first part, Dad, they get it. Um, listen, we do this in partnership with the great folks at the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness. Uh, they're doing great work there at caeh.ca to check out what they're doing. Now, recently, um, now by the time this podcast, because that'll be a little uh, less recent, but recently, you know, the town, the city of Barrie, was going to pass a bylaw to make it uh, to find people if they're giving out water or food to people experiencing homelessness. Uh, and this is one of the things that CAH does that was incredible. They rallied the country, they rallied people, made it easy for them to reach out to counselors and media and other people at a police to say throughout their advocacy efforts um, that the counselors took a step back and did not go that route. And so uh, the day was won. And that's the power of CAH. They are the voice of uh, this sector and a huge voice. It's really incredible. But beyond that, they run an awesome conference that's happening in October. Check that out with amazing speakers that they've announced. So sign up for that. This year's it's in Halifax. And they do a lot of different trainings. One of those trainings is helping communities become built for zero communities. Trust me, you want to be one. So check them out at CAEH. .ca. That is C-A-E-H.ca. Listen, we have a real treat today uh, on the, the, the podcast. I'll just say a little trigger warning for people here uh, because we have a, a lived uh, expert on, and that is someone with lived experience. And sometimes for, for people, individuals listening, if you've gone through struggles with mental health, uh, addictions, homelessness, this might trigger you. So we just want to put the trigger warning in there, and we'll do that uh, uh, in our write-up as well. But such a treat to have uh, my friend Al Weeb on the show. Uh, Al, I, during the podcast, shares with us his 28 months on the street. I mean, this is a guy, he was advertising exec. He was making, uh, I think, six-figure salary. He was doing great. He was doing that. He was there for seven years at this place, lost his job. Uh, I didn't know what to do. As G said, my job was my life. My life was my job. I, you know, I didn't have family. I didn't know what to do. And he was suffering from a crushing depression too. That he, you know, just kind of said, ah, I'll just push through. I'll just keep pushing through. I'm going to ignore that. You know, very, uh, you know, not attuned to getting health supports. Right. And so Al went from driving a real fancy car to living in a car I refused to get help because, you know, when he was able, he talks about, and we talked about, you know, you drive by people experiencing homelessness and that's, that's someone else. That's not me. I'm not that guy. I'm not, I, I don't need to ask for help. Uh, that's embarrassing. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, that's not me. So, so he very hesitant to ask for help, very hesitant to get his health, mental and physical checked after. And when he did go into those hospitals, being rejected and being looked down upon because he was someone uh, we lived experience. He was uh, experiencing homelessness until he came upon one doctor that changed his life, got him the care he needed, got him the supports he needed. And then, you know, not only did Al climb out of homelessness, but, and, and he's now what he called appropriately housed, uh, he started giving back. And he was, he talks to us about why it's so important to have those voices of people with lived experience at those tables, why he talks to federal government employees who are writing policies to look at it from someone who has experienced it. 
not what they would do, what they did do, what what did happen to them and those types of things. So he trains uh, people uh, in government. He trains police officers, new cadets coming in. He talks about that. He's got a radio show called No Fix Address because he recalls a nurse saying, you know, so you're from uh, No Fix Address, right? And once he explained, he was experiencing homelessness. Um, and he's done much, much more. I mean, Al is having a huge impact. He's changing lives. Uh, he educated me today, and I'm sure he'll educate our listeners as well. This is one you don't want to miss. Such an important podcast. Uh, it's so much fun. I enjoyed it so much. He's such a modest and wonderful man. Uh, so take a listen. I think you'll really like this one. Al, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, I told you this in email, but I'm going to repeat it. Uh, we've done probably over time 150 of these and i don't think i've looked forward to one as much as i did today just because you are the real deal so welcome to the show uh, thank you so much uh you know i um i admire your work so much and it's a real honor just to just to be on the show today i can tell you that for sure look, look at that starting with modesty um <laughs> and i'm looking forward to your answer on this like we mm-hmm. get different answers because it's personal and yep. we ask everyone the same question and that is what is home I mean to you you know I, I thought about this and um you know uh when i was out there for the first 14 months home was uh the back seat of a 64 mercedes piece of junk car that they used for parts the second 14 and a half months were spent in shelter at salvation army and for the last 11 years I, i've been housed in uh, appropriate housing and housing on the street was not safe and it was not comfortable what what home uh and how is it, what home means to me is is having comfort um which we all need in our lives and it also means safety because safety uh, out on the street is not there no matter what you're sleeping in, it just simply is not there so the two things for me it's it, it's safety and it's comfort and you know living in a place that uh, allows you to live your life in dignity is really important as well I love what you're saying there. Dignity, safety, comfort, mm-hmm. something everyone should have the right to. And unfortunately, right, right now, they do not. Al, as much as you're comfortable, because I know you've told this a lot, yeah. it's a lot to ask, but tell us just a little bit about your journey. And for, for uh, listeners who may not know, I think most listeners know, but when we talk about lived experts or lived yep. experience, of course, yep. you're going to talk about this in your journey. And, and yep. so tell us about your journey. And, and then I want to know too, uh, why is lived experience having the voices of lived experience why is that so important sure uh, as we move forward uh to recognize housing as a human right yeah uh th- thanks for allowing me to actually uh to to talk about this you know i was a 150 dollars year earner uh, as a fairly successful advertising sales executive and uh, due to no fault of my own i lost uh my position there and um, I was unable to handle the trauma of that uh, because my life was my job. My job was my life. And I had no balance in my life. Plus, I was also uh, uh, suffering from unchecked and unmedicated clinical depression. I was too big a person to take uh, medication for it. I always felt that I could dig myself out, and I had in the past. Uh, but uh, November 6, 2009, my, my life changed uh, forever. I was cut loose from the organization after seven and a half years had nothing else in my life. My life was my job, my job was my life. And uh, I had no balance. And uh, due to my clinical depression, uh, well, first of all, I traveled the country for about eight weeks and spent uh, roughly $30,000, which was the extent of my commission check that I received. 
when I walked out the door and uh, trying to spin my way out of my depression. I uh, ended up uh, not being able to spin my way out of my depression, of course, and nothing helped. And came home, uh, landed at home on Christmas Day, and uh, Christmas was really bad because I had no friends to speak about it, my work colleagues, and I was estranged from my family. And um, things just got worse, and uh, a few months later, I ended up on the street, not unable to to handle the trauma of losing my job. Plus the fact is I was in suicidal ideation and I thought that freezing myself to death that winter might be the answer because I wasn't going to cut myself or hang myself. And it was a really cold winter. And um, long story short, I, I, um, I prayed to God every night that I would not wake up in the morning. But lo and behold, I woke up every single morning. My prayers were not answered. And I learned really, really quickly uh, that the most... Uh, casualty the biggest casualty of homelessness is the loss of self-respect self-worth uh, dignity all those things self-confidence all those things that make a human human being and um, you know not having a place to go to the washroom collecting beer cans and drive-through chains just to get by and I was too proud to use the service providers and the shelters for and the food banks for food because I'd made 150 a year I did not have to and I suffered you know I lost 32 pounds subcontracted pneumonia became very sick I'm also diabetic and uh, and suffered from a lot of pain and finally after two after 14 and a half months I made my way to uh, to the nearest hospital there's enough will for me to to go there and you know homeless people hang on hang on a thread and at the bottom of that thread is is hope and um, my hanging out for dear life but my thread was fraying and it was about to snap i went up to the hospital i had enough will to live to go to the hospital and uh, i was met there with the triage nurse who treated me with much disrespect after she found out that i was homeless and um that's where you know my my troubles really started went back went to the hospital three times I spent 18 hours the first night in the hospital in the emergency room and uh, the nurse uh, came in and said are you here for bus tickets to Shalom which is a shelter here and I never got help she didn't understand I was there fighting for my life went back a second time a week later same years nurse same site nurse never got help went back a week later for the last time and I met a doctor and uh, he would not give me a bed he said I can give you a bed, I, I, but I'm not going to. I can send you to a crisis stabilization unit, but I'm not going to. You have too much to report. He did not see that I was hanging on my last thread, and he just snapped it. The next day, or 17 hours later, I jumped off a bridge into the river to take my life, and I was lucky to survive. Long story short, the um, next day I went to another hospital, and uh, I was met with the same disrespect from the healthcare system from a nurse there. But I did see a doctor who sent me to a crisis stabilization unit. And uh, I did not get the help I needed there either. And everywhere I went, people would say, Al, you got to work on things. Al, you got to work on things. Al, you got to work on things. And I was wondering, don't these people know that when you're homeless, the only thing you have to work on is survival? And surviving one day after another, one minute after another? I ended up. Um, Staying there for three days, which is nothing after 14 and a half months. And I ended up going back to my car and I was sick. And I finally thought that, okay, I'll try one more hospital. And I went to St. Barnabas Hospital here in Winnipeg. And um, I knew it was in a different place. And the doctor, uh, I finally saw a doctor after 24 hours. 
which is what it takes here when you're having psychiatric problems. And she um, said three, and I'll make this short, but these are really important words. And she said, Al, walked in and she said, Al, um, even here, even here, even here, uh, the hospital, they either would not help you, did not want to help you or could not help you, but today I'm going to help you. It's like you've lost your identity and you've fallen off the edge of the world. But today I'm going to pull you back in. And I still have the, I still have the uh, visual image in, in, in my head, visual picture in my head about this doctor in the spaceship pulling me in from outer space before I go floating off into nothingness and get lost forever. And she said this, and this is what's really, really important because we all have the ability to, to help people. And she said, Al, um, starting today, your life is going to change. You're going to become better, you're going to become stronger, and you're going to become the person you always wanted to be. Like, who says you're going to become the person you always wanted to be? Who says that? And then she says, it's not going to happen today, it's not going to happen tomorrow, it's not going to happen next year, it's not going to happen in two years' time. But you're going to get there. And she said, Al, I believe in you, and you have to believe in you. And she said, someday you're going to be able to help people that are in the very same position that you are today. Who says that? I fell on the floor and I, and I started weeping. I couldn't stop weeping for an hour. And she did find a bed for me uh, a psych, in a psych ward at a different hospital because she didn't have any. And when I got to psych ward, I couldn't eat, couldn't sleep, couldn't put two words together. But I thought one day I'm going to be able to speak to the powers that be and to the big regional health authority about my troubles and about being kicked out of emergency rooms and also about the help. But there was a homeless, broken down nobody in a psych ward. The doctor sent me to the Salvation Army about a month later. I got out about a month later. He sent me to the Salvation Army. It's been 14 and a half months there. And um, I finally did get out. And I was interviewed by the FMC SWAP program, which that was the first program, and was rejected, of course. But, you know, ironically, after I got out, my first job was as a case manager with the at-home she swap program, the program that I absolutely hated because they caused me an extra five months in self-engineering. And uh, 12 of my participants were people I knew from my days at Salvation Army two and a half years ago. I'm just really capsulized in things here. But um, I finally got out. And I began to work for an organization called Mumbley. And uh, after two and a half years, uh, they allowed me to take all kinds of courses like welfare advocacy and suicide prevention and first aid CPR and things like that. And I figured this is leading somewhere. It's not leading back to advertising. It's leading somewhere. I just did not know where it was. Like I was drifting down a rapid oil river on a raft without any way to steer. That was going along. And I ended up. Uh, being asked to um, volunteer at the Adam Say Swap program, the same program that rejected me for housing. And uh, that was half of, half of 500 people got housing and the other half didn't. I got seen once every three months and given 30 bucks. But I volunteered there and a few months later, um, the opportunity came around to, to actually work. They, uh, somebody quit or was fired and the director says to me, you want a job? And that job was keeping people in housing. It's called housing first and keeping people in housing that, um, and you might think that might be easy, but it's not. People are not used to the responsibility of, of housing. 
my job was to keep people in housing, give them all the supports they needed uh, to, to make sure that they stayed there. And 12 of, my, uh, 12 of the people I knew from Salvation Army were my, uh, turned out to be my participants. Well, I asked for them to be my participants. And two and a half years, I'm, I'm knocking on the door saying, I'm your new case manager. And they said, yeah, sure you are. <laughs> but then when the, uh, the surprise uh, shock got over, they got over the shock, I, uh, they realized, they realized uh, that uh, it was a good thing. And this is where lived experience comes in because they knew that I'd been in their shoes they knew that before Salvation Army, I was homeless and they trusted me. And this is where lived experience is such a big, huge deal when it comes to uh, working with those uh, yeah, in, in, in the homeless sector and the housing sector. There's that huge trust that comes from lived experience and people knowing that you've lived in, and walked in their shoes. Uh, from um, and it was it was a great job. I developed such a great uh, great trust and a great relationship. And every time we see people after all these years, they still say hi. I went on from there to the University of Winnipeg to work in the second and last phase of the FMC SWAT program. And um, the sad part about that was is that you know well what we did is we searched out people who did not get housing, like myself, the two hundred fifty people that didn't get housing. We found them on the riverbanks. We found them in the shelters. Found them on the streets and brought them in for interviews. And my job was to find them and then be the liaison, the lived experience liaison at the table with the master's degree researchers and the homeless folks. And I was there as a uh, liaison, as, as that level of comfort that the people uh, knew that they were, they had somebody in their corner. Again, a really, really strong uh, indication of the power of lived experience. I went on from, and the sad part about it was we lost uh, over 50 people in Winnipeg out of the 500. To, to the streets, uh, we, uh, we lo they lost their lives, whether they're housed or not housed, they lost their lives, the lingering effects of homelessness. We ended up, uh, I ended up going to, after the program ended uh, in two years, I ended up going to uh, Canadian um, Mental Health Association and they created a position for me as a peer, engagement specialist, or as a peer uh, support worker. And uh, again, developing that great relationship with the clients that other workers could not do because they trusted me. And from there, um, I, I got asked by the Canadian Alliance on Homelessness, whose logo I see behind you, to be a peer engagement specialist for the organization, which meant traveling across the country, talking to people and talking to organizations about why it's important for you to have people with lived experience in your PWLE, uh, people with lived experience in your organization. It was the greatest uh, uh, job that I've ever been a part of. And, um, you know, I'm going to an organization and um, talk about my experiences as to why I was important to build those relationships and keep people housed and, and just um, lend knowledge uh, about what it's like. Because we, as people with experience, have that intimate knowledge of the, what's more important, the intimate knowledge of the trauma that people have when they're homeless. I think that's one thing that people who do not have lived experience will never realize is the trauma that follows you around for years uh, afterwards. And, and it's the one thing that separates people with lived experience from others is the knowledge of that, in, that intimate knowledge. I always, I, I compare people with lived experience to color commentators and uh, commentators watching a sporting event, whether baseball, hockey, football, anything. Um, there's a commentator and there's a color commentator. The commentator calls the game the way he sees it, straight up. But the color commentators, 100% of the time, either a player or a coach, 
who understands the game because he's lived it. He's played it and understands why this was the coach called that play, why that player did that. And, you know, I, um, not all of us, but some of us who have come through uh, can be that color commentator in, in the business of, of housing and homelessness because we have the intimate knowledge of, uh, of in areas that others don't. Um, after I uh, finished uh, my, my time with the Canadian Alliance on Homelessness, I was really, really happy to, to be there and, and to do that work. I, I expanded my, my, my training. I continued on expanding my training today. I do, I do community training as well. And um, I just want to bring one thing up. I, I've been given lots of opportunities to be part of <clears throat> things I would never have expected. I spoke to worldwide audience for the UN from a lived experience perspective with 50 mayors from around the world. But the one thing that's really, really important is that I got an email um, from the executive director of the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority who saw a documentary that uh, Global Morning News did on my life. And um, she said, how do I get hold of this person? And she found me and we talked for two and a half hours and she said, uh, I need to know whether you're ready to take on the WRHA, the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority. And I, I just shuddered because there it was that if you go back to the Victoria Hospital, there's this broken down homeless person sitting there who couldn't get two words together, <laughs> get two thoughts together, couldn't eat, couldn't sleep. Thinking about someday speaking at the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority. How is that going to happen? But lo and behold, so one day I went and stood in front of us at the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority and told them we need to stop. And I talked to them about equity. And talk to them about um, health equity between Main Street and Wellington Crescent, or Main Street and and, and the high rent district. Treating people with respect and with dignity and with the same health care. And my life has has gone in many, many, many different places since then. I spoke to the emergency and triage folks, the same ones that actually kicked me out three times were in the audience when I spoke to them. And it was an amazing, amazing experience. So many things uh, have happened to me. I was uh, part of the first ever expert roundtable on homelessness uh, put on by the CMHC in 2016. That was the basis for today's uh, national housing strategy. And so it's um, my passion um, that has come from my lived experience has driven me to these places. Uh, I'm not saying all these other th these things that have happened because I'll weave so good, but I'm speaking because I've been given opportunities because people didn't cast judgment on me. Mumway, an organization that brought me in, did not cast judgment on my skin color because I was not Indigenous. I was the first person I hired in 10 years that was not Indigenous. And so many things uh, have happened to me because people can't, did not use judgment on me. And I always speak on, on judgment and, and our con conscious biases that, that, that don't allow a lot of people to move forward because we cast those judgments on them. And so, um, yes, uh, why is lived experience so important? Again, I mentioned it during my short little story here, but it's really, really important because um, we have, we, number one for me, what's driven me to, to the places that I've gone and what I do in my training today is, um, is, is the fire that's in me that won't go out. It drives me to try to make the lives of people in the street, 
people living in poverty, which is just as bad as as um, living on the street most times because of the pressures. My lived experience drives me, but we also, again, we have that intimate knowledge of what it, it was like to be on the streets, and and that will always stay, in, you know, in my heart, and I know that in a lot of other people's hearts as well. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. Well, amazing, Alan. Such a powerful story. Uh, and, you know, I want to, you know, even if we drill back to first when you were saying, you know, I, I have this depression, but I think you and I are from around the same vintage, right? Where yeah. I think back, you know, where mental health, it was yes. just shake it off, right? Like it was, <laughs> men don't, you know, like whatever, that's for, you know, asylums and different things, right? Like, so, yeah. so we just push through. Is that, am I, am I right or? Yeah, well, we we push through all right, <laughs> you know, but you know, there's so much to overcome, right? Yeah. And um, and you do need somebody to help you along the way to get there too, to to do that. You know, I I've done a lot on my own, but if we had not, you know, I, but I suffered severe mental health. I was in severe mental health crisis, right? And people don't realize that you know, uh, it, mental health and mental illness and homelessness go hand in hand, and. It just exacerbates the illnesses that you have already, you know, before you get there because of the everyday trials and searches for food. Right? If you're not using the, if you're not using the uh, supports, um, like I did not use supports, did not use the shelter or anything else. I did it on my own. Compound that with the pride of that as well, right? It's uh, people have no idea about the mental health, uh, mental illness that goes along with homelessness. Well, yeah. I mean, if anyone spent any time on the streets, what they'll tell you is your quality of sleep is is a big zero. Is and, yeah. and, and, and how do you feel as anyone, any listener, how do you feel when you, you have a bad night's sleep? You're less patient. You're more likely to feel down. You're not. Yeah. So think about that night after night after night, not sleeping yeah. as you said with comfort or safety. You've yeah. already got this, you know, uh, kind of pre-programming of, of deep depression, you're not getting the help you need. It goes, you know. That's it. And yeah. I, mean, I was way too proud to go seek it, right? I would never seek it out. That's for other people, right? I mean, that's for yeah. that's what you think. That's not for me. That's for other people. That's exactly but, it. <laughs> but, you know, and, and so I think it's important for, for people to understand. And that's that. Lift. Also, you know, when we talk about Healthcare and homelessness mm-hmm. hand in yep. hand, right? If you you can't really get housing if you're not healthy, you can't no, get you healthy can't. without housing. Uh, and you found that out that your experience with the healthcare system, if I hear you correctly, was not what well, I don't think if I heard it. It was not. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was not good. <laughs> it was not, not not a good one. And you know, here's another kicker. You know, today I'm uh, I was appointed by the dean of uh, medicine at the University of Manitoba to be um, on the two uh, healthcare and uh, biomedical review boards, which means all research throughout Manitoba on healthcare and biomedicines, pharmaceuticals, et cetera, comes to our boards. And I'm the lucky lay person to be on those boards for two years. Like, you know, yeah, quite an irony when you think about where I came from. You know? 
Well, but, but because, listen, I think sometimes people uh, in all fields, they'll say, you know, education, number one, mm. um, you know, and then experience. But man, when you live that, you're, if you said this, you're coming from a place that not what you would do, what you did do. How did you get by? You know, you're not saying, I would guess this is what someone experienced when they went in. You're saying, this is what did happen. My experience yeah. may not be the same as it for yeah. everyone, but I'm pretty sure there's a lot of similarities, right? Where oh, yeah. other people experiencing homelessness, right? Yep. You know, sleeping in cars, not wanting to accept, being a little scared of going into a shelter. I system. would not. I was too proud to go to a shelter, actually. Yeah. That was my problem. I was not going to sit on that sidewalk waiting for a bed, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I'm sure. And tell me, again, when you were you were uh, fully employed, you're doing well. When you yeah. drive by and see people, you know, a certain judgment is there about who's doing that, right? Yeah. Oh, you know, lazy people or... You know, why don't they just, you know, those types of things. And sadly, Al, I see that. I wrote an article about NIMBYism, and I looked at some of the comments, and I was blown away, not by the pause, but like these negative comments saying, you know, if you keep giving people handouts, they'll just want more. And since <laughs> when was is the right to housing a, a handout, <laughs> right? You know, and, yeah, and, you know, um, you know, people ask me a lot of times out there, well, why didn't you go get help? Or why didn't you go to Shalom to, to, to seek a doctor at Shalom? You didn't have to go to a regular doctor. I said, why? And never even crossed my mind. I was sick. You know, I was diabetic as well. And I was really, really sick. But do you think I would ever go and get help? You know? I was, why is, is that kind of a male thing too? I know like, you know, guys are like, ah, I only see a doctor. That's it. I'm going to die in that's a day. It. Right? Like, yeah. Like we're, we're, well, I mean, it's just, I, I know that where I remember for the longest time, I would even tell my wife, which would say, you know, you should go for an annual. I'm like, well, why? Yep. Like, I'm, yep. I'm good. Like, she's like, that's yep. not, it's called prevention, dummy. Um, so, prevention. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, and she's right, as usual. Exactly. You know, um, and it, 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 it's so important, but, you know, problem is not being of sound mind, for one. Yeah. You know, being suffering from uh, clinical depression and not thinking straight. Um, People have no idea of how the trauma on the street changes the way you think, right? And I always tell people when, when they're doing surveys, okay, if, if you're going to do a survey with those, make it really, really simple yeah. because of the trauma that they're going through in their life or, you know, they may be coming down with something. Make the questions really, really simple. They have to be different because they operate at a different level. I could not talk today then like i can today i there's no way in the world i couldn't even get two thoughts together sometimes now Al, what, what has to change i mean we, we see you know and, and from that lived experience kind of mm -hmm. view what has to change what do we uh you know right now we're probably the biggest housing crisis yes uh in, in you know the last hundred oh, years you know yeah and um you know one of the things we, we need to number one I, I not number one. They're all they're all bunched together, I guess. But you know, one of the things that bothers me. One of the things I'm proud to, and I don't use the word proud very often, because you lose that when you're on the street. But one of the things I'm happy about is working within this or outside of the system uh, and on financialized housing. I, I think our government needs to stop catering to, uh, and the federal government needs to stop catering to the to the wealthy REITs as they call them, right? And cut out the. Um, turning of uh, low-income housing. I don't like to use the word affordable because it means too many different things to too many different people. Yeah. 
You know, I hate that. I, 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 I rail against that all the time. Uh, they need to really, really uh, cut out uh, the um, financialized housing uh, aspect of things, turning low-income housing into condos that nobody can afford or rarely can afford. And if you can't afford, if you can't afford them, uh, a lot of people can't. And pe- what this is doing is turning more and more people out into the street, especially in cities like Toronto and Vancouver, where people are making 50, 60 grand are living in their vans, right? Yeah, no, we need to change that. We need to, um, uh, again, I just made a couple of notes. Uh, uh, we, we need to, um, you know, pay, pay more attention to um, innovation, innovative plans. I know some, several government departments are working on that. And, um, you know, two years ago, our federal government had a what was called a housing budget. Then last year, they turned around and took it all away type thing. And so we need a consistent um model from or consistent method from that from the housing from the federal government uh to, to keep the funding up there for housing and things like the rapid housing initiative which was really really good and did a lot of good here in winnipeg uh we need more programs like that or even the um, accelerator program we need to keep those kinds of things going but i also know that there's not enough money to for the government to keep those things going but we need to you know at least do the federal government needs to do what they can to keep those going to put uh, housing, especially rapid housing, was such a good program. In Winnipeg, we, we housed like over 200 people, right? That's highly unusual, but it needs to happen. And what helps it, it it's done in a rapid, you know, rapid time frame. That's really, really important. And I think that uh, one of the things I do uh, in training, uh, and we we're going to talk about the police too, but one of the things I do in training is I train the federal government department, uh, government, federal government departments. Um, and I get to train the policy raiders for the federal government from reaching home and a homeless policies directorate. We need more of this kind of thing to happen. We need the government to see more uh, perspective, more lived experience perspectives. And I know that, um, you know, uh, the sessions that I've had with the federal government and they're gonna be more coming up is, is that those policy writers are hungry to learn more. They acknowledge that they sit in front of their computers and write policies for people they don't know. And so my job is there to come in and bring the human, human aspect of things to it. They are, they are doing more and more of that, but lived experience needs to be part of it. And, and again, uh, we need not to give, you know, in, give corporate welfare out either. I'm not a socialist and, you know, none of that kind of stuff, but just fair, fairness, uh, you know, is something that needs to be, they need to really look through um look through a homeless lens when they write policies you know when they write policies on housing need to look through the homeless lens uh because otherwise you'll never get it right and uh i know in one big that's happening but it's a slow slow process and there's always a teaching frame that goes on let's talk about so i visited winnipeg a couple of years back i was just yep. there recently but when i visited I remember we turned around and they said, you know, when people talk about being from the wrong side of the tracks, they mm-hmm. said that that is literal in Winnipeg. Yes. There's one that side of the literal. tracks and there's that other. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working with a, a fellow colleague on the Human Rights Committee of Council here in Winnipeg. And what we're doing in October, we're putting on another forum that brings the people from the other side of the tracks to this side of the tracks for a half a day forum. And we're going to have them um, 
have them take in the homeless memorial service I put on every year. Give them a real, real dose of of reality that's out there. And we're going to have them take tours of some of the places down in the in in the um, in the uh, core area. Uh, this is, is this Hope Valley. This is uh, Hope Valley is right there, man. Yes, we're going to take it through Hope Valley as well. And I, I, I love talking about that because that was my, if you look behind me, there's a sign that says Hope Valley right there. Yeah. That is the sign that is up on, that used to be, you know, Henry and Maine is now Hope Valley in Maine. And uh, myself and the counselor uh, worked, uh, worked hard to put that together. And it took four years, but we got it done. But yes, we're, we're going to bring people from, uh, from, from River Heights and uh, other affluent areas down to down to the core area strong through hope valley and why we do this thing and for me the word hope is everything um it, it means so much and it needs to be seen for people every single day to keep their spirits because there's not much out there sometimes right Absolutely. and uh, yeah but it's um yeah we're um you know we are seeing again though you talk about what, what's changed we are we put a a couple we've had a couple of uh, new housing projects put together and one of the things that's really promising is that we had a com company called pollard banknote who um, write lottery tickets to make lottery tickets right across the world i think or something and they put in uh, a bunch of their own money into a 40 million dollar project that's uh you know uh, housing uh i think 49 units or something uh but it's uh we need more more uh, people that can afford it to do it absolutely and, and we need more corporate people not taking tax breaks and not doing what they're promised that they would <laughs> and uh so yeah but but things things are changing but you know uh i don't use the word in homelessness because um number one if, if the government did have enough money and then the private sector came in and did their thing and threw in all the money in the world. What's really, really important is housing first, right? Yes. Where would you find the capacity to do that? What we can do is, is do is do what we can. We can pull people out of homelessness one at a time or 10 at a time or 20 at a time. And maybe we can maintain, but you know, we need to, uh, I, I think we need to look really look ahead. And right now we're having problems filling positions here, here as it is. We need to look ahead and start really working on the HR situation in our, in our, um, in our sector. Yeah. You know what? I call it radical change. I think, you know, we've done little yes. tweak, tweaks, but what if I, and I can throw this out, this is what our podcast is about, but we talk about radical change in every sector, yep. labor sector, we yep. looked at something uh, paying people for five days and having them work for so yeah four day work what you know what would that do with their mental health what yeah. would that do for recruitment to our sector probably mm -hmm. really bring people in uh, yeah. we've got to do something else your point now you are doing something you're doing a lot of training yes you do a lot of training with the police tell yes. me about that because that's pretty cool because the police get a pretty bad rap sometimes yeah with people individuals with mental health in crisis yep. but bringing you on board pretty cool move tell me about that yeah, I, I, as a matter of fact, I did one on Tuesday, um, and um, um, I, I talked to recruit uh, to cadets actually this time around, and a, and, and a few veterans in the room, which is really interesting having the veterans in the room because they have those a different attitude about things, generally speaking. So I really look forward to that. <laughs> when you say different, uh, yeah, I was a guy. I really look forward to this. 
Yeah, it was it actually turned out to be one of the best uh, sessions I've ever had with the piece. I've done 11 now with them, right, over the last two years. And, um, and you know, it's um, it's always great. You know, the, the, the great thing is the cadets, when you're talking to cadets, they always wear these late blue uniforms and, and drive around in the cadet cars. And, you know, I live downtown in the core, not in the core area, but I live downtown and, and they always, they're always around and they always recognize me. And here's a really positive because they recognize me. And if they re- and they'll come over and talk. If they got time, they'll come over and talk, right? And if they recognize me and they want to talk to me, they remembered what I said. And that's really, really means a lot to me. Exactly. But you know, so what I do is I I just I bring them a little closer to the street and I tell my story uh, a little bit longer than what I did today, obviously, for context. But I say, you know, you can't judge that that person by what he looks like. I said, when you see that person on Main Street or in the or in Central Park, superimpose my face over that person, and know that that person's lot in life is not there. He does not have to stay there. She does not have to stay there. She can move forward just like I did. Of course, we and but but we need to bring our positive attitudes. I said, I know you're police officers. I know you're uh, you have to do your job, but you you can also do it with the right attitude. And so that is my message to them. And, and, you know, and I do the same thing, which is relatively the same with the fire paramedics people, because they spend a ton of time in the camps because in Winnipeg, we have a lot of fires in the camps and they spend a lot of time there. And uh, next week I'm doing fire fire paramedics. um, And, uh, and it's, um, it's, it's about the same, a little bit different, but it's again, uh, uh, both with the police and fire paramedics, uh, let's, change the way you engage with these people let's look at them with respect and not as some uh, uh, of a lesser human being because that's what most people do you know like and i call them maternal speak because most of the time they speak to them like they're 15 and 14 and 13 where they shout at them you know they're just because they're on the street doesn't mean they're deaf or it doesn't mean they're 15 right and I, and i speak to them about respecting that person and speak to them. I speak to the mayor who I know very well is the same way as I speak to somebody on the street. And I bring that respect to them. And I ask them to really consider putting their unconscious biases in a box and locking them outside the door. I give them a, 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 a virtual, you know, image. <laughs> so take your attitudes, take your judgments, when you really speak to that person, uh, before you really speak to that person, put them in the box and throw them behind you outside the door and then talk to that person and talk to them like they're an adult and talk to them. And I said, I was talking to the cadets and I said, you know what? 90% of the people you're speaking to are older than you. So maybe treat them that way. And, uh, you know, so my, my message is is to, uh, it, it, well, what I'm there for is to build that relationship through understanding, right? <coughs> there are PhDs out there, there are business owners out there. And you may not see them by the way they look today, but they're there. And it doesn't matter if they're not, they still deserve your respect. And so that's my message with them. And, and when I see, and, and I know I'm, I know it's reaching because when I see the cadets or part talking to people, they operate on a really good level, you know? And uh, I, I like to think that they remember something about what I told them. And, you know, uh, we had a bus shelter situation here in Winnipeg not that long ago or last year last year, June, after a year ago. And uh, a service provider here uh, and uh, some counselors wanted to remove a housing provider for crying out loud. And uh, 
some counselors wanted to remove bus shelters. I got to speak to city council for three hours. Right around that time, I said to a city councilor who's, who I know very well, I said, well, I'm training the police, I'm training fire paramedics, I'm training library, I'm training rec staff, I'm training everybody, why not the city council? And so she she arranged it and, and it just couldn't coincide with that time that uh, they're gonna remove, remove bus shelters so because they did not want the homeless in those bus shelters. And they did not do that. Well, you know, Al, sometimes, you know, best intentions, we look at what happened in Barrie recently, you know, where they're saying, hey, and I saw this, I actually did the study tour in the States mm. and um, in, in New York. And yep. they said, you know, we passed a bylaw and she was quite proud of it. This was uh, someone who ran, yeah. said, we passed a bylaw where you, you can't give food or anything to the, the homeless because, you know, and, and what she said is that basically we want you to like, you're giving them stuff sometimes that they don't need despite yeah. your best intentions. But if you give us money or give it to us, we can actually get them because we're talking to them. We know what they need. So great intentions, but you should never, as I think, and this is not my, um, this is the mayor of Newmarket. He's a great guy. He said, you should never police good intention, like kindness. Um, and, and, and he's right. But, you know, sometimes the intentions get lost and we, we want a hard and fast rule that doesn't work for people. So I'm so happy you are informing and doing that with the police. And hey, listen, man, I, if you get off, if, if you're able to escape uh, going 10 over the limit too sometimes, yep. uh, you know, because, you know, it's, it's, that works too. Um, Al, tell, talk to me. You, you do so many different things. I don't know how you find the time, but talk to me about your radio program. Yeah, it's um, I, I've taken a couple weeks off uh, now just to give myself a, a few long weekends during the summer. But uh, it's, you know, um, I, I got my five year pin just the other day, <laughs> which is really kind of interesting. I never thought it'd last that long. And uh, every once in a while, you want to pull a plug, but you know, I'm the only one of the show of its kind, so I have to do it. And it's advocacy radio. And uh, one day, um, you know, I was thinking about it, and then I was asked to uh, go to a radio workshop at UW, and I said, sure. And then I got the bug to be on air. And once I got on air, then I couldn't get the bug out, <laughs> you know. And and uh, I couldn't think of a I couldn't think of a title for the show. But then I went back to that first nurse at Health Sciences Center here who. His attitude changed when I told her I didn't have a home. And she said, oh, I have no fixed address. That's the name of my radio show, right? That's the one thing I got out of the hospital that day was the name of a radio show. Yeah. And it's really, really important that, and for me, I, I think it's a responsibility. And um, uh, because I can talk about things. And so I have a responsibility to do that. I really feel strongly about that. And um, and so, you know, I've had you on my show. Uh, I have other... Uh, uh, other strong people across the country uh, and some who I even disagree with strongly on things. I have, I've had um, mayoral candidates on that and in two elections. And uh, through that, I became friends with our current mayor. And, uh, and, uh, and so uh, I've had other politicians on both federal MPs and others. I've had key stakeholders and also most importantly, I've had people who live experience on the air. And, um, and so when I got to the television show, uh, I was kind of on another show for about three months, just learning the ropes. But then I started thinking, what am I going to do? And then, um, like, it came to me, like, really hard and fast. It hit me in the head. It's like, you got to have a show about homelessness and stuff. And five years later, we're still here. And um, I'm really, really happy about that. And there's where I used to have to beg people to come on air, and now people want to come on air, which is kind of cool. I have to... You know, after five years, you kind of have a reputation. So, um, I'm I'm really glad that I that I'm doing this, 
and um, I'm not happy about getting a five-year pin. You know, I'm not sure be, I'll be alive for 10, but, <laughs> but we're, we're doing it now, and it, it means a lot. And um, I have a, the station is, is 100% behind me, and I have a great, they give me a producer, so all I have to do is talk. I don't have to push buttons or play music or anything. And it's um, it's, it's a great honor to, to have a show like this and, and have uh, folks on from mental health to, uh, you know, uh, to service providers, to federal politicians and community and, uh, you know, counselors and other things like that. It's, it's just a great, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, um, and, and just to be able to have a platform for what I do as well. Right. It's amazing, man. Now, recently you are modest to a fault my I think friend, it, because okay. I remember, can you hear me now? Yeah, well, I can. Yep. Am I coming? Yeah, okay. Uh, you're, you're, I'm saying you're modest to a fault. And I say that because recently the University of uh, Manitoba was going to give you an honorary degree or did. And you were like, do I accept this? I don't know if I feel right. I just, uh, and, and you know, that I saw the people, like, if anyone deserves, right? Education is not about exams and research and all the time. It's yeah. also about experience. And you've got that. Uh, and you've shared that with so many and changed the lives and impacted the lives of so many. Uh, you definitely deserve that. So congratulations. <laughs> we don't have to call you Dr. Al yet, do we? No, 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 no use that. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you do so much. Where can people find out about the great work? Yeah, I, um, I you know, um, I, I'm, um, I'm working uh, or I'm just waiting for nonprofit status for, I, I am associated with, of course, my housing provider, right? Because we do have housing in Toronto, Vancouver. But I, I'm uh, looking for my own personal, uh, not looking, but waiting for my own personal nonprofit status, right? And uh, but uh, people can reach me on Facebook, uh, simply Al Weeb, uh, and on LinkedIn as well. It's the only I should have a lot more social platforms, but I only have two because that's the amount of time I have for it. <laughs> but but um, uh, yeah, I think th those two platforms are good, and I I, I do. Um, as you know, I do talk a lot about what I've been privileged to be able to do and and the training I've been able to do, you know, for, for organizations both here in the city and across the country. And, you know, uh, for example, you know, financial uh, or wealth management group in Ottawa, for example, you know, so how does that stuff happen, right? <laughs> you know, but somebody hears about you from somewhere, right? Or they pick up something and, and uh, we go from there. But, um, you know, I've... Um, one of the things I'm also happy about is I've done training in Europe. I've done six different uh, trainings in Europe, which is kind of okay. You know, I, um, I, I kind of think that, you know, you're reaching beyond, reaching beyond your, your grasp, right? And I always, I, I, I tell people with, who have lived experience, that don't live down to other people's expectations. If you reach beyond your own expectations and you can achieve it, right? Well, you're giving what you said was so important. You're giving them hope. And hope is what pulled you through. You're giving them hope. Uh, you're giving all of us hope, Al. Uh, I am so appreciative of all you do. Um, and, and, you know, for having the courage, because it's not easy, I'm sure, to share that experience, um, you know, to, to kind of swallow that pride, share and, and give others hope that it doesn't mm -hmm. have to uh, be chronic. It doesn't have to. You yeah. can push through. It's okay to ask for help. Yeah. Uh, and it's okay. Not only did you ask for help, you came out of it, gave help back to others, and help, and are helping us piece by piece 
fix the systems that are putting people there. Yeah, you know, yeah, you, you, um, and this is a mutual thing because uh, you're one of the people I really respect in this country because of the work that you do, and not many people can do what you do. I can say that for sure, and I'm so uh, grateful to know you <laughs> and follow you, uh, you know, in your the things that you that we need. Thank you Listen, you're very kind, but this is about you, sir, and that goes to the modesty, and you always tell about his person not comfortable getting all that but hey listen i appreciate your time thank you yeah and i appreciate being on air um, michael it's a, right, it's a real pleasure it's awesome to be able to tell your story you lived up to the hype in my head and i'm sure our listeners will feel the same al thanks so much for joining thank you so much take care trying to get I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.